Cast Strength, the Whiskey Podcast, brought to you by myself, Torrin, and my brother and co-host, Ronan. Follow us on Instagram at Cast Strength Pod or on Twitter at Cast Strength Pod. Enjoy the show. Slash. Hello and welcome to another episode of Cash Strength, the Whiskey Podcast. Uh, I'm Torin. I'm joined again by my co-host Ronan. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. Uh, I've been enjoying the Euros. Scotland are out um, as of what a couple of nights ago now, but looking forward to the rest of the tournament. It's the last sixteen, isn't it? It's now. This is now the opportunity where we can sit back and actually enjoy the games that are being played with no sort of consequences. It's quite an emotional roller coaster watching Scotland, isn't it? It's a, it is a strange one um, watching Scotland because you know the players are really, really good. That You can't take the mentality side into thinking. Like, I was sitting watching the game against Croatia and I thought, it's okay for me to panic in this situation because I'm sitting in a pub. Yeah. It's not okay for a football player earning thousands and thousands of pounds a week to panic in that situation. Um, but that's the mentality side of things, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I don't really like this... Oh, this mentality that's like, oh, we did well to get there. Yeah, we did, but let's not just rest at that. Let's say, let's look at what yeah. we did wrong and what we can do right in the future and, and then move on from there. But I definitely don't like this kind of glorious loser mentality. Yeah, without delving too much into being a football podcast, that's the one thing I really dislike about watching Scotland. It's almost this acceptance of we're not very good. I don't know whether it's because of the club football team I support and I think I wouldn't be happy with just being there getting there yeah it's brilliant but you actually want to go there and do something um, but yeah that's the, the, the one thing I find hard about watching the biggest gripe I've ever had of the Scottish uh, the Scottish national team is when you've and I know it's the Euros but in standard sort of friendlies or games that we play in Scotland why we want to play them at Hamden which is a big wide open pitch why do we want to play good teams in a big wide open pitch where they can play football if we can't play that type of football Take them up to take them to Tynecastle. I think Tynecastle would be a brilliant stadium to play. You're playing Germany. Get them in at Tynecastle when fans are allowed on top of them. Really put them under pressure. Don't give them the the freedom of the south side of Glasgow to play football. Especially maybe maybe not now because a lot of people are behind the Scotland team. But when you had like a half full or quarter full Hamden, move that game to Tynecastle. Move it to Pitodre or something like that. You know, like. At Tynecastle, especially the fans are right on top of the yeah. team. Like that's a bit more of a kind of hostile atmosphere. It's a tight pitch. It's probably not what. It's definitely not what Hamden is. But you're right. Hamden's a massive pitch, and you can see it in even Scottish Cup finals, League Cup finals, where the the weir team, maybe from not the top division, come to play at Hamden. Oh, it, sometimes it's, it's just they run out of legs because it's yeah, such a big pitch. I think there'd be nothing better than watching Scotland at Tynecastle on a rainy Wednesday night or something playing a top team. The fans right on top, floodlights on, and making them play Scotland's game instead of us going to Hamden and trying to try to compete. I mean, you've seen it against Croatia. Luka Modric's just played his own game because he had the freedom to do it. But we're delving into another type of podcast. There. All right, so we'll, we'll move on to the whiskey. This is probably I think we've had one bonus podcast before. I, th- I think this is deserves its name as a kind of bo- bonus bimber podcast. Uh, yep, it, we're trying. Bimber, uh, or a whiskey from Bimber, which is a London distillery. Uh, I follow them on my on the podcast social media channels, and I've seen they put up a tweet saying, retweet this, follow the page, comment or whatever, and um, you have a chance to win 
one uh, a sample from one of the first casts, if not cask number one. Uh, so I won it. Um, I was quite pleased with that. Don't don't really win anything. Um, but yeah, this is this is a sample from cask number one of Bimber Distillery. As I say, Bimber is a London distillery. It's uh, in the Park Royal kind of region of uh, of of London. It's I think it's really just kind of an industrial estate, which is what a lot of new distilleries are. They need space. They need kind of especially one in London with yeah. property being such a hot commodity. Isn't there? The, the I mean, you can't space for a distillery in London would be quite a lot of money. All new distilleries can't be built in like old churches or old kind of uh, whatever old buildings. But this one, this distillery is a distillery I've been keeping an eye on uh, since they started. I know this cask was filled on the twenty sixth of May, twenty sixteen. Uh, so what's that five years ago now mm. but they were producing kind of gin and vodka uh, before that and I think they've been ruffling a few feathers in a good way uh, I don't think they've upset anybody the old good feather ruffle aye, the, aye. The, the old one that the, they like the, the feather the scratching and that petting and no it's no. a good feather ruffle aye so they've, be, they've become noticed I know they just released their underground series which I must have missed the competition for that. Um, <laughs> but not a Twitter competition for that one. No, no. I actually think there was a wee bit of an issue with that. I seen that Bimber released a statement saying they removed people from their Bimber, their club or whatever it is, yeah. their kind of their committee. Yeah. Uh, because they, some customers were very Raging. upset and uh, abusive about not getting. Uh, specific bottles. I know that is that's not a good thing. You never want sort of staff, especially. I think it happens quite often, especially in whiskey shops, being abused for not for customers not buying a bottle. But you try to take the positives and of that and go. Oh, our product's very much in demand. Then mm-hmm. obviously these people are part of a a, a bimber club. They obviously they do want the bottle, but it shows a, a swell in actual. So I've just from generally being on social media, so I've seen a lot. M- a lot more of English whiskey in general, but particularly Bimber, Cotswolds, the other one that I see quite a lot of as mm. well, and they seem to be really making, well, they seem to be ruffling the good feathers. Aye. Aye. Making a few waves in the pond or whatever. Aye. Aye. Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, so thanks very much to Bimber for sending us that. Uh, we've not tasted it yet. We're just about to taste it, so I honestly don't know what it tastes like. We might slate it. Oh. I, I, mean, <laughs> Hopefully I hope we don't. I, I hope from what we've seen from other people... Uh, online tasting underground series, or I've seen a few people did a tasting natural last night. I hope it's, I hope it's great. Uh, the funny thing about the the people who were maybe abusive to staff or put pressure on staff that was unwanted to the to the point where they didn't even just get told, listen, mate. Next time you're out, it was removed yeah. removed from the club. I've seen a few people uh, commenting online on on Twitter and the thing about the Scottish whiskey industry and the drinkers it's not actually that big yeah. you know the you know the people and from formerly working in a whiskey shop so I've seen some of the people that are big whiskey drinkers they're whiskey bloggers whatever and they were saying how bad it was and of course it's bad that staff at Bimber um, suffered some abuse or some pressure I kind of thought these were the same people that would put me under pressure or my colleagues under pressure when I worked in a whiskey shop Aye. to get them the best bottles uh, and you felt you kind of had to. Uh, and uh, yeah, I just thought that it was quite funny. That it's terrible when someone else is doing it, but when I'm doing it, I, it's I'm totally obviously right. within reason, yeah. Aye. Like, oh, yeah. those bad people over there as you're doing the exact same thing. It's not something I want to dwell on, I just thought it was quite funny. So 
I've been nosing that as you've been um, speaking there. I've not tried a lot of English whiskey. Uh, this is the first time I've ever tried Bimber. Um, but from the nose, getting a lot of sort of ripe red berries, raisins, nectarines, very, very fruity on the nose, I find. Um, it's a little toasted note as well, almost like a toasted biscuit or toasted barley sort of note. Very, very enjoyable on the nose. What was the percentage you said there of it? I think. Is it fifth? It's either it's either 59 or 57 or it's so we're going off a bad bad hand right in there. Right? Uh, I don't think it's bad. It's just like it looks a wee bit older, so I'm not sure what that is. Right. It's oh. I think it's between 54 and 57. Right. Okay, so we'll go for 54. Cash strength. Cash strength. All the nose. None of that spirits come through. Young whiskey. One of the first casks they would have filled. The, the start of their production. Uh-huh. Um, maybe someone suggested maybe there's a tendency for the first production to come through from new distilleries to be slightly less refined. But as he says, they've been producing vodka, they've been producing gin before, so they've obviously got experienced people there making this. And on the nose, it's, it, it comes across very, very approachable and very, very nice. Uh, lovely fruity note there. When when you mentioned the this is the first cast that's been filled, so maybe yeah. it's maybe the spirit they're producing today is a wee bit different, you're yeah. exactly right, because uh, the process to create this spirit is similar to what they do now, but there's been changes. Yeah. Uh, they operated a smaller mash tun, basically, right. and um, back then they had stainless steel washbacks, but now, uh, since 2017, they've actually used uh, open-top American oak uh, washbacks, which is... Very cool, I think. Uh, that, that was read, when I was reading about it, but I thought the, the, the mention of open top. Now, is that, are we talking like fully open top, like somehow Belgian breweries will let their ferment in the wild and they'll not add yeast, but the, the yeast in the air in their open top? Or is that, it's got a lid, which, or is it is it pure open top? I, I guess it would be just pure open top, uh, but I don't. Th- yeah, I know what you're saying. Does does some of the the reaction, the yeast working, does some of the yeast come from outside the distillery? Yeah. I, I don't know. I yeah. I honestly don't know. Um, I would probably like to go to the distillery and ask these questions or speak to somebody at the I, distillery. I always fire these questions at you, expecting uh, you to know the answer off of that. But yeah, I don't. I don't know the inner workings of their production or that. But <laughs> but I mean, I tr- I mean, I try. We'll, we'll do a follow up bonus podcast. We could do. Then. We could do a trip to a trip to Bimber. I'm yeah. sure. Uh, Park Royal's nice. I, I've never. I've <laughs> cost never. a lot in Monopoly, I presume. It, isn't I, it? I was thinking, is that a Monopoly <laughs> station? Aye. I don't. I think maybe that's why they've did their underground series. Um, but as, as you say, can I, I'll, I'll go on in the nose. I haven't actually really noticed it well. Yeah, cool. You go into the nose and tell you a little bit about the production that they're doing now. Um, so the barley comes from the Britain's oldest maltster. Is who they use. It's uh, Warminster Maltings. They do the initial part of the process and they steep the barley for 72 hours to raise the moisture level for the germination, um, to encourage the germination and then it goes on to the floor for approximately five days where it's then turned by hand-used tools, a little bit like um, what they're still doing now at uh, Springbank Distillery and other times other distilleries around Scotland still do. It's a very, very sort of traditional way. Um, Warminster Maltings actually dedicate a whole floor to Bimba, so there's a consistency in what they're doing. Um the, uh, the barley is produced as a unique product out of extending quality. But a little bit about Warminster, it was built in 1855 by the Morgan family. Um, 
and the floor malting, the traditional floor maltings were sort of designed and built around the, what was the malt tax at the time. Um, and then, <laughs> this is the wee bit I found interesting. Just about 50 years later, uh, a proprietor, Edwin Slooper Beaving, who was a self-taught barley breeder. Nice. Self-taught. Don't know what that means, but I've I respect no, it. absolutely no idea how you say well self teach barley yeah, breeding, but yeah. this man was self taught, and he bred the first genetically true barley variety in the world. Do you know what that is? No, no, it was Plumage Archer. Oh, that's another cool name. Isn't uh, it? You just know it came from like so Edwin Slopper Beaving in nineteen o five, a self taught barley breeder. Um, Established and, and, and bred the first true, uh, genetically true barley variety and plumage archer. I like the sound of that. Yeah, it's yeah. So this is an old-fashioned maltster doing stuff old-fashioned way, and they're based in South England, I guess. Yeah, would, yeah. Uh, they are based in. I had the name here. They're based in beautiful Hampshire. Nice. Nice. Yeah, not not to clue up in my English geography, but I, nah, I don't know. somewhere but, somewhere down there. To touch on that, I presume that they see purpose in doing all this the old-fashioned way, and is it to do with flavour retention? Is it to do with flavour enhancement? Is it to do with they're not just not changing it, and people like traditionally like does it say why they've why they've not changed? Well, I guess it's just tradition. Um, the the oldest monster. Why would you want to change away from what? It's been successful for you, for the maltster itself. Um, as it says, traditional malt made by hand on floors, uh, very labour intensive, as it as we discussed in previous Springbank podcasts. Um, you get a nice ambient temperature on the malt floor. The only control of the temperature that they've got is to open and close non glazed windows. <laughs> so, a yeah, very, so, a very, very sort of traditional way of. So does that just mean like the kind of wooden shutters that you've seen at old malt barns before, or does it just like sash windows or something? Uh, yeah. To me, to me, it suggests it's, it's more sash windows than oh, just well, wooden shutters. Like, non glazed would mean no glass windows. Would ah, it? Yeah, ah, yeah. So it's just wooden shutters. Yeah, it's just yeah. Like wooden wooden windows. Yeah. They do this is uh, is try to keep it as natural as possible to allow the individual batches of barley to express themselves um, as much as possible. What are you getting on the nose there? Yeah, so I have actually been nosing this and it's actually really quite nice. I'm getting like lovely, it's almost like in a Christmassy feel. Nutmeg, slight spiciness, cinnamon. Lovely fruity note. Yeah. yeah. That's it coming as well, but first of all, I just think... Christmas cake, fruit cake. Uh, yeah. No, I'm more like the kind of just a Christmas candle type thing, you know, like that kind of that kind of spicy nutmeg, cinnamon. There is a bit of fruitness coming in there. Very, very interesting nose. As we mentioned, the open top with washbacks the interesting thing they then do is seven whole days fermentation yeah that's long isn't it yeah it's very long yeah which i think adds to the sort of fruitiness that we're picking up here as well but yeah. um, very very interesting open wooden washbacks seven days fermentation as they say it's, it's more than double the industry average and it helps them produce a premium what they say is premium handcrafted whiskey in a sort of homage back to the way whis- whiskey distilleries used to make whiskey mm. yeah yeah, what, did you did you mention what barley they used for this? Cause uh, so the barley they use is concerto, and I have a really bad pronunciation of this, and you can correct me. I'd say Lorette. Uh, Lorette. Lorette, yeah. L-A-U-R-E-A-T-E. Yeah. So it's concerto it's and Lorette that they're currently yeah. using. So yeah, concerto is 
bog standard. That's yep, what everybody's yep. using nowadays. And Lorette, I don't know when that kind of phased out, but you can you get a real kind of serially note to it on the nose. You're getting lovely, you know, like berry flavour. I don't know if it's kind of like bramble or blueberry mm. or something like that. It's it's actually very good, and like I know the kind of creme de la creme of whiskey in some way is Scotch whiskey. There's a lot of English producers that are producing really, really good stuff. Yeah. Uh, and this will be my first taste of uh, Bimber, so I'm looking forward to it. Have you tasted it? Uh, I have tasted it, um, and it's really well balanced. I think it's really well put together. No harsh spirit notes coming through um, for being quite a high strength. Really, really fruity. That's cinnamon and nutmeg and a little bit of ginger and sort of pineapple in there as well. Um but again, a little bit of that Christmas sultana brown sugar, sort of glazed cherries. Um, sort of like hard-boiled sweets, butterscotch. Um, yeah, I think it's really nice. quite sweet. Yeah. Um, maple syrup. Mm. Honey. Quite quite a kind of great mouthfeel on it. Yeah. As you say, there's no alcohol in there, but you're getting a lovely fruitiness. You're getting slight kind of orange peel. You're getting that kind of sweet. Berry again, almost like a, a a bramble jam. I think we've mentioned yeah. that before, but yeah, I, I really like that. I'm sorry, it it's really really sweet. It's it's um, but not a confectionery sweetness that sort of comes across a little bit sort of plasticky or sort of fake sort of over sweetness. Seems like a very sort of like natural fruit sweetness to it. Yeah, fruit fruit and honey is basically yeah. what I'm getting, um, and those fruits being kind of berry. I'm thinking. Uh, yeah, I'm thinking maybe even cherry as well, to be mm. honest. Gonna gla- almost glazed Anything cherries. anyone would make a jam or preserve out of, I think, fits into this. Aye. Aye. If you can make a jam out of it, you could probably get it in this bimber. Yeah, probably, actually. So, you're saying this is... You've not tried many English whiskies? First time trying I, I've tried several English whiskies. Oh. Uh, one of my favourite whiskies a few years ago was, was a young, maybe an eight-year-old, single-cast, peated... English whiskey company, which I think yeah. might have they might be under a different brand. It was from an independent bottler. Ah, right. And I was like, Wow, that's class. And I used to give it to people and be like, Guess what it is? And they'd be like, uh, uh, like there was never an eighteen year old Kalila. Yeah. I was like, nah. That's that's a seven, eight like an eight year old English whiskey from English Whiskey Distilling Co. Um yeah, I, I really enjoyed yeah. it. So in total I've taken this off of Bimber's Instagram, so I believe it to be correct. They released on some You can blame them if it's not correct. Yeah, absolutely. There is 33 whiskey producing distilleries in England. I was going to ask you, yeah. but I don't expect you to name all 33. Okay, yeah, I was. But how many can you name? Uh, how many English whiskey uh, distilleries have you heard of? Cotswolds. Cotswolds, one, yeah, yeah. Uh, St George's. Which in George's, yeah, is the English whiskey distilling company, yeah, is it? Yeah, I mean, be going off the names. Uh, George's, you've got Bimber, but obvious, obvious one, yeah. You'll have uh, you'll have a distillery, Sadler Distillery. Sadler's Distillery, yes, yes, Medlins. Yeah, they produce the Peaky Blinders stuff. Oh, is that who does that? Yeah, uh, I'm going to go for Liverpool Distillery. Oh, you're just naming big cities now. <laughs> <laughs> That's the way I've got to. Aye, is that one? No, no, yeah. is it right? Okay. Uh, I presume there will be. Yeah, I thought. Like, to be honest, I'm pretty stumped. Right. I'm pretty stumped. So we'll start in the northeast and we'll work our oh, way right. Right. I was going to, like, there would be, like, this city of light distillery or something. Yeah. Is there? So, no, no. Oh. So in the northeast, you've got 
Ardgerfren Distillery, Durham Distillery, and Yarm Distillery. Do you know if I went down the the kind of tactic of just naming places that I knew? I mean, Durham would have been about like yeah. 60th or something, yeah. but we would have got there. In Yorkshire and Humber, Whitaker's Distillery, Cooper King Distillery, and the Spirit of Yorkshire Distillery. East Midlands, White Peak Distillery, Wharf Distillery, East England's, you've got St George's Distillery, and then Adnam's Cooper House Distillery. In London, you've got the East London Liquor Co. and then Bimber Distillery, as you mentioned. Southeast, a little bit more in the southeast, Cooper River Distillery, Canterbury Brewers and Distillers, I know Distillery, Isle of Wight Distillers, Black Bottle Distillery, which I found quite confusing, seeing how there's a Black Bottle release. Right, Black Bottle of Isla, isn't it? But yeah, I think it is a peated blended malt or a peated blend, I'm not sure. Yeah. Uh, you've then got Oxford Artisan Distillery, and then you go into the southwest, the Ten Hides Distillery, Dartmoor Whiskey Distillery, Pricetown Distillery, Hicks and Healy, Wrecking Coast Distillery, Circ- Circumstance Distillery, which I found quite funny. Right. Uh, West Midlands, Cotswold, as you mentioned, Chase, Saddlers, Ludlow, and Henston. And then coming back up the west side, northwest, you've got Wheatwood Distillery, Forest Distillery, Bank Hall Distillery, and Lakes Distillery. I've well, heard of Lakes. I've heard of Lakes. I maybe heard of one or two of the others, but not I really. was really quite surprised at how many there were. Maybe they're just producing whiskey, all, but maybe they're not. They may be all quite young. Yeah, maybe it's yeah, just it's not. Just, yes, maybe just not a massive part of the distilling. I guess a lot of distilleries start off as gin, rum, vodka, yeah. and then move on from there. It did get me thinking, and something I will look at after the podcast now is to see if the regions in which whiskey is made in England, like it used to in Scotland, really, although mm. it slightly still does, but it's not as prominent now. The regions within England does that determine what type of whiskey they make. Or do they just decide, right, we're going to make this style because we, the, the, the master distillers there like Isla whiskey, so they thought, well, we'll make a, a West Midlands-style peated whiskey that's similar to Isla. So it would be quite interesting to go in and look at that and see if... I see if it becomes, like, geographical, yeah, if, kind of accepted regions. Yeah, um, yeah I don't know. Uh, actually, I just meant to bring something up to you. I sent you a, an article on some blog... Uh, which was it was a wee while ago now. Can you remember which one it was on about? Like it was the it was the one where it was a oh. amateur blogger complaining about other amateur blogs or vlogs and how they weren't very good. And then, well, I well, I just thought it was just unbelievably like nasty and just right. like just seemed a wee bit. Like he'd been stung, and maybe he thought he was the best writer of all time. And it was one of those. It's actually one of the kind of blogs that you read. There's quite a few of them in whiskey, and I've got no pot problem with people doing it. I suppose we are another format of that. Yeah, like, I I would encourage every single person I meet that wants to do a podcast or a blog to do it. To do it. Why yeah. not? Why not do it? Like, why not write poetry? Why not write songs? Why not yeah. do stuff that's a wee bit creative? Do art, paint. This guy, I can't remember even his name. He was basically. He was like the self-appointed gatekeeper of whiskey blogging, and oh, yeah. he was and he was posting. Uh, he posted his wee piece on Twitter, and then you could see like all these wee mates were commenting <laughs> like, "Oh yeah, that's great," because they've all been hurt the same way because they think they're great. And then one of them was one of the comments was, uh, "Yeah, there's there's not any good uh, writing gigs or uh, like paid paid writing gigs in whiskey, or I'd be doing it." And it was like, "Do you not just think?" you're not very good at whiskey writing and that's why you're not getting paid because you've got people like Dave Broom. I know yeah. it's not the most lucrative paid th- thing, whiskey writing, 
there is a you've got Dave Broom, you've got Ian a, Buxton, you've got Michael Jackson, you've got all these people who yeah. have made a living in whiskey writing. Yeah. And do you know what all you never hear whiskey uh, sorry, Ian Buxton or Dave Broom saying to people getting into the, the I don't, the don't do it. Oh, don't do it. You don't and, want a slice and, of this pie. I was actually listening to and I've not spoke to I was actually listening to this interview with uh Cast Chasers uh, yeah, okay, podcast. Yeah. Uh, probably should take a wee fee for giving them a shout out. Absolutely. But they were they were interviewing a former, uh, or he just retired. He was an Isla Distillery manager. I'm hoping you can help me out with his name. He's very famous, and I forgot his name. Isla Distillery manager of Brooklady, and before that, it was it's about Richard Patterson. Eh? No, no, Jimmy Coon. I'm Richard just name- Patterson. I'm just naming names now. Uh, Jimmy Coon, yeah, famous Isla person. I always get. I'd not say older guys, but that echelon of people within the whiskey industry. The face I know, but the, uh, the name to the I, I, face. I, I think it is Jim McCune, and we're not doing him any uh, we're not doing him any service by forgetting his name, but remembering names isn't my forte, as I can't remember anybody's name in this yeah. story. But I was listening to a podcast <laughs> I was listening to a podcast with him, that yeah. Cast Chaser podcast. Yeah. And see the amount he just said to these people who are amateur podcasters. Yeah. Use are the reason the whiskey industry is doing great. All use fans. Um, you should never give up your passion. Like doing stuff like that. Yeah. This guy's been in the whiskey industry uh, for started off as a cooper. Yeah, uh, yeah. Started off as a cooper, then started managing warehouses, then managed a distillery, yeah. and then travelled around the world doing stuff like that. And he's probably never told anybody. Don't ask. Stop doing uh, that. Don't don't follow that. And then you've got these people who like to sit on Twitter and write blogs and then get all their remates mm. to tell them they're all great. And um, just if any if if anybody is listening and they read that and thought I'm going to give up my blog or vlog or whatever, don't listen to them. They're just angry because they don't get paid for their shit writing. <laughs> and if you're listening, to the person that wrote it that I can't remember your name. Then you're just a shit writer, and uh, so are all your remates. <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> uh, moving on to the palate. What did you start to get there on the taste? Then, oh, right, I'll, you tell me about the palate, and I'll right. taste it. Right, okay. So what I started to get is the, I kept those fruits going through a little bit more of a toasted note again. As I said, a sort of toasted biscuit, sort of digestive note. But as I said, jammy fruits, very very strawberries, orange peel. Of creamy vanilla toffee notes as well, of hard boiled sweets as I, I previously mentioned. A little bit of pepperiness in there, a little bit of ginger, dark chocolate, that sort of toasted biscuity note. There is a slight smokiness, like just slight, and I don't think it is smokiness. I think it's just coming from the cask. Basically. Yeah, I think I it's a slight it, okay toasty kind of thing. I had it down as as well as sort of there's like quite a old worn leathery sort of note to mm. it. Uh, sort of just underneath sort of a mustiness to it, which is, is quite good is, for being so young. Yeah, it's really quite interesting. Very, very sweet. It was sweet. It was that vanilla. It was honey. It was that kind of jam. You said anything you can make into a jam is probably in this. It had orange peel. It had uh, kind of blueberries. It had kind of bramble or blackberries, depending on where you're coming from. Finish-wise, I'm liking it. Uh, You can tell it's young. It's not the oldest whiskey in the world. It's got a great mouthfeel. I'd even say kind of long finish. Like It doesn't need any water. Long, sweet. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't need yeah, any it water. Is. It's cast strength. Um, I'm assuming we don't have more information about the cask, but I suppose that gives us the opportunity to either give a kind of blind tasting of it, potentially make a fool of ourselves. But yeah. 
there's some really it's really really interesting this whiskey I probably will then forego and try more bimber but the success of bimber it seems to be doing really well because they are actually looking to expand to their current facility yeah. Park Royal they're looking to increase production but they're also looking at different sites around, around London to allow that increase of production and there's also just been planning permission put in I think maybe this year the end of last year um, for them to build a distillery um, in Scotland uh, in Dunfail they're looking to build another distillery. Where's that? Oh, so it's just up north, up space side I think I might actually seen the plan for that. Yeah. Uh, um, they're looking to do everything kind of on site, are they? Again, they're looking to maintain their their ethos of what they've done at Bimber as much as possible, uh, and try and do everything on site. Yeah. Um, yes, yeah, so it just means more jobs for people and stuff like well, that. Well, it means which is more great. jobs, but it also means they're obviously sort of know well they definitely obviously know what they're doing but it shows the success of what they've been doing mm. in Bimber is, is working really well especially with them looking to expand do you want to do the World Whiskey League? World Whiskey League yes um, who's who's top of the World Whiskey League? it's currently Waterford it's Waterford and then it's the Method of Madness that we tried and then it's in third place and bottom place of the World Whiskey League currently it would be the Box Distillery from Sweden that we tried the single cast bottling Right, so Bimber goes above Method and Madness and below Waterford, I guess. Or did you like it more than Waterford? No, I, I would I would put it in there at number two. I think it's very, very good. Yeah. Waterford, to me, is so unique that... It's going to be hard to beat. It's going to be hard to beat in the World Whiskey League, I think, yep. Right, okay then. Well, Excellent. that was a short wee podcast, but we only had one uh, sample. I was going to say we sample there, but it was free, so should be grateful for it. Again, thank you to the people at Bimber for sending it. Absolutely. Um yeah, I'll probably look out for more Bimber. Definitely. If you like the sound of that, you probably should as well. Most likely we'll be putting this podcast out at the same time as our first interview. We've interviewed um, a whiskey broker, somebody that can help uh, schmucks like us buy casks. Uh, but again, we're in no way kind of paid by them or anything like that. We've just interviewed them because it came about somehow I guess um, yeah it sort of came about and it, it, it seems like something that we see quite a lot now especially on Facebook and social media in general mm-hmm. the sort of cask investment thing so to get the opportunity to speak to someone with who's that's within their job yep. um, to help people invest in casks they really helped with the clearing up of say muddy waters I yeah. guess I mean, there's been a lot of bad press about whiskey cask investment through... I think, I think there's always a scare that there's, there's, it's a you're, scam. You're spending or a lot of money and not seeing something back right away or never physically holding something, which yeah. is often the, the scary part. But he cleared a lot of that up. It was a very interesting interview. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, I'll leave it at that. See you later. See you later.